Welcome to Huddle Home Office. I'm Mark Legere. And I'm Trevor Nichols. Hello, Trevor Nichols. Hey, Mark. $2.75 billion. And that's US, Trevor. We could we could build, you know, quite an empire out of Huddle with that money, couldn't we? <sighs> Can you imagine Huddle taking over the world with those billions? <laughs> I think we have to have a talk with those guys in Newfoundland. Yeah, yeah. Share the wealth a little bit, guys. Come on. <laughs> so what am I talking about? What am I referring to when I say $2.75 billion, Trevor? You are talking about the biggest news to come out of the Atlantic Canada tech scene in a very, very long time. Uh, Newfoundland's own Verifin was just, well, is about to be bought by NASDAQ for the $2.75 billion US dollars. And tell me, from what you know, Trevor, because this conversation always comes up with uh, with tech companies uh, of various kinds, especially especially ones that are more B two B. What do you understand Verifin Verifin to be doing? Yeah, it's always really uh, complicated <laughs> trying to both understand and explain these things. But the Coles Notes version is that Verifin operates in the fintech space, which is financial technology. Essentially, what they've done is they've created a way to help. Uh, financial companies be more secure and better detect fraud. They have a cloud-based system, which means, you know, it's all in the cloud uh, and they do some end-to-end encryption stuff. Uh, honestly, honestly, a lot of it is beyond my technical know-how, but I think the main point to take away is they're they're helping keep transactions more secure. <laughs> I, You know, when I was thinking about this this morning, Trevor, because we always have this conversation when we talk about tech stories and especially some of the B2B companies that, you know, frankly, you and I are, are I think, are, you're a liberal arts grad, aren't you? I am, yes. <laughs> yeah, see, I am too. And so we're, we we come to covering tech with, uh, you know, trying to grasp uh, the, the great work that these uh, coders and software engineers, people that, you know, we don't really understand very well do and 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 uh, are the backbones of, of a lot of these tech companies. I was thinking this morning, Trevor, I was thinking of, I'm going to call them financial crime fighters. Oh, I like cloud. that. That's yes. good, isn't it? I'm not sure if Verifin's been described in that way before, but I'll take my first shot at it. <laughs> Next stop is marketing for you, Mark. I really like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they and they em- employ a lot of people in Newfoundland. Yeah, uh, they have about 500 people employed in Newfoundland. Uh, and it's really cool because with this purchase, their head office is going to stay in Newfoundland uh, and presumably grow. So they're, they're quite a, a driver in that ecosystem for sure. Now, I know that you wrote a piece for us uh, that's on our website that we published earlier this week, uh, and you talked to a couple of people about this deal and and what it means to not just Verifin but also and, and Newfoundland, but also the region generally. Who did you talk to? Yeah, so I talked to Michelle Sims, who's the CEO of Genesis, which is an incubator uh, up in Newfoundland where Verifin actually got its start. Uh, more than 15 years ago, if you can believe it. So I talked to her and I also talked to Catherine Lockhart, who's the CEO at Propel, which is another incubator based uh, in New Brunswick that sort of covers the whole Atlantic region. And what did they tell you about the significance of this deal? Uh, It's funny. uh, Catherine Lockhart, when I spoke to her, said that basically the day this news came out, her entire day was just blown up because she couldn't talk to anyone about anything (laughs) except the Verifin deal. This, it is... It is almost impossible to overstate how big a deal this was uh, for the ecosystem. It's it's definitely the biggest exit for a tech company in Atlantic Canada. And I haven't been able to completely confirm this, but it, if it's not the biggest, it is definitely one of the biggest exits for a tech company ever in all of Canada. So this is this is like huge, huge deal, huge numbers here. Right. And we've, you know, we've been talking about kind of the next unicorn to use that phrase for almost a decade now, uh, since, since the sales of, uh, of Q1 Labs and Radiant 6, which we've talked about on, you know, you know, several recent podcasts. Uh, and then we actually had Catherine on a, a recent podcast talking about her idea of uh, the baby unicorns and, uh, and creating smaller companies that could eventually grow into full grown adult unicorns. Yeah, we're we're not talking full-grown adult unicorns here, Mark. We're not talking even Arnold Schwarzenegger unicorns. We're talking like unicorns on steroids, which is what Catherine Lockhart said. This is like three Arnold Schwarzeneggers stacked on top of each other. Yeah, well, and today uh, we're actually going to talk about probably uh, right now more more baby unicorns in, in the in the fintech space and and the ability that they could eventually become uh, full full grown verifin style uh, giant unicorns, uh, Trevor. Uh, because of course the conversation that you would have had, um, you know, with, with uh, on this piece earlier this week 
would have been about how how so how do we leverage the, the success of a of a, a company like Verifin and and the success that that it's had. And um, well, this brings us to uh, who we're going to talk to on the show today, Trevor. Uh, we're going to talk to a woman named Alicia Ismak, and she is the entrepreneur in residence at Venn Innovation in Moncton. And uh, she comes to Venn uh, by way of uh, Argentina and Israel uh, on her way to Moncton, Trevor. She's a very interesting person. Um, she left um, Argentina when she was you know, a teenager uh, to go to school in Israel. And uh, she was one of, uh, you know, the early adopters for PCs. It was back in the mid 80s. Trevor, how old were you then? <laughs> I was just a wee lad. <laughs> That's well, I was. <laughs> were you even born, Trevor? Yes, I am a child of the 80s, essentially. <laughs> but not but, all of them, <laughs> just some of the right. 80s. But you weren't one of those little, like, you know, little toddlers pecking away on one of those early Mac Mac computers, were you? Listen, I was the best at chips challenge for Microsoft Windows 95. So I've got my own history here. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alicia kind of came of age going to school, high school in, in Israel around this time and, and was one of those early adopters and, and fell in love with those PCs um, really early. And uh, she ended up, you know, becoming more interested in on the sales and entrepreneurial side and not so much the technical side. And she basically came of age as a young adult in Israel when it was uh, it had, was developing a, a strong uh, sector around fintech uh, that has since grown and, and exploded since then. And she became very central uh, to all of that as as an entrepreneur uh, and, you know, and a company builder. And, uh, you know, she reminds me in the interview that we have that we have uh, that you're going to hear very shortly that, uh, you know, Tel Aviv uh, is not much bigger than Halifax. Uh, and because when we have these conversations about, you know, how do we leverage, you know, these various tech sectors, Trevor, there's always that feeling like there's China, there's the United States and Silicon Valley. Where do, you know, regions like uh, like the Maritimes and 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 countries like Israel uh, fit in all of this. Can they really punch above their weight? Can they really uh, grow big enough to to make a, a meaningful difference and produce you know companies of global significance? And Alicia firmly believes that you know based on her experience in Israel and the years that she's now lived in the Atlantic region that we can indeed do that. She's, you know, identified, um, you know, with the help of people at then and people around the region, you know, a hundred or so FinTech companies that she wants to see grow eventually from baby unicorns into unicorns, Trevor. It's, it's remarkable to think that we have a hundred companies in this, in this space right now in the Maritimes, which, you know, judging by what NASDAQ has to say, this is going to be a, an industry that grows quite a bit in the next 10 years. So it seems like she's right. Like we could really be set up for quite a, quite an expansion in, in maritime fintech, which is super exciting. It's very exciting. And it was, it was very exciting to talk to Alicia because I, like I, I said, Trevor, you know, people for years have said, you know, you really need to have a chat with Alicia. Um, she really has a lot um, to say about, you know, the tech sectors generally, but in particular fintech. And so I uh, had a good conversation with her early this week, Trevor. And, uh, you know, just to give you a little, a little preview, um, we both, we had our conversation on, on a day when I had to get to work, uh, in, in a bit of a, you know, a gusty windstorm and she had to get to work in, in a bit of a, a gusty windstorm. So <laughs> I know Trevor, it's an ongoing joke between the two of us. I, I got to tell you, we started the conversation talking about the weather. I was going to say, I bet she has some insights on the weather for you, Mark. <laughs> It's it's a gripping chat to start out our conversation, but it, but it, she is fascinating too because it's not just a, a conversation about you know the emerging tech scene and and she's able to situate why fintech matters you know to ordinary people in the province in the in the region not just uh, not just the entrepreneurs who who build um, these companies and the people who work for them, um, but she's also just a fascinating person to talk to based on her own personal journey from Argentina to to Israel. And, and now to Atlanta, Canada. So uh, let's get to that chat. Good morning, Alicia. Good morning, Mark. How are you doing this morning? Great. Couldn't be better. <laughs> I, I was running a little bit late coming into the office today because uh, I know it's probably similar in, in Moncton um, where I'm connecting with you. But uh, just before I was about to leave the house, my wife said, 
the basketball net's been knocked over in the front yard by the wind. Can you go move it? <laughs> I have seen a lot of, uh, you know, decorations of Christmas uh, running around the neighborhood this morning. So, yeah, I can understand that. Because <laughs> you experienced a little bit of the thing going into the year, this going into the office this morning in Moncton, <laughs> I'm sure, too. Yes. Yeah. And people are, it's very funny. We, we actually had to put up our decorations last night at our house because our, well, our 11 year old and nine year old insisted on it. Uh, but people are quite early this year with the Christmas decorations. Very early. Uh, probably because of the situation, it's good to see some happiness outside, at least in the decorations, a little more than usual. Yes, but it sounds like from what you're telling me about Moncton, people probably should have waited a few days until the winds died down. <laughs> Yes, but uh, I, I believe that they will recover them. They were just running around a little with the wind, not too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alicia, it's, it's wonderful con to connect with you because uh, many people over the years uh, since you've arrived in, in Canada and in New Brunswick have, have said that you, you have to connect with Alicia and talk to Alicia. So I'm <laughs> glad that we finally connected. Yeah, I'm very happy to talk to you today. I heard the same about you. <laughs> So, um, but I'd love to start at, at the beginning uh, of your story because you, you, you come to uh, Moncton and New Brunswick from Israel, but, but originally you come from Argentina. So can you tell me uh, a little bit about your, your early life and, and uh, why you decided to go from uh, Argentina to Israel? Yeah, it's a, I grew up in Argentina and I think that most people can hear that from my accent. Uh, I was there till I was 16. Uh, and at 16 years old, I moved to Israel uh, to finish my high school there in a boarding school. Uh, it was a, a disruption in my life. A lot happened there uh, all at once. Um, originally, I should have moved uh, to a boarding school, uh, you know, uh, normally to try a new life there. But uh, in reality, uh, my family was affected economically in Argentina of the end of the 70s and beginning of the 80s, uh, end of the military uh, government. And when I moved to Israel, I moved actually in a very bad shape, uh, personally, in terms of uh, my family and economically. So I moved alone to a boarding school and uh, started actually my life as an independent person there uh, and 16 years old so uh, it was a uh, weird times I, I have always been a very positive person and very uh, optimistic so for me uh, looking back i say wow i had the opportunity at 16 years old to start a new life to do something for myself to build myself but it's hard it was uh, challenging uh, but I think I, I did well. And uh, after my, my high school, I went on to, to study some uh, computer science because the uh, computer started back then uh, to appear everywhere. I'm talking about 80, the year was 85. I started to see computers around. I got excited about it. So the rest is history. I really got into technology early for my time. And, and I think I, I have been uh, lucky to be on the right place on the right time. I, I still remember, it's funny you say 1985, 1986, because I still remember being at a, a university dorm because uh, around around those years, I, that was my first year at university. And I, and I still remember the one person on our floor in Halifax who had one of the original, uh, you know, Macintosh uh, PCs. <laughs> And it was so novel at the time. It was this tiny, you know, little, little computer. Um, yeah. And uh, but he was and he's actually still now in, in computer science in, in Halifax in that sector. But I, I just I remember how new it was yeah. at that time. I, I, I'm curious to know, like you so you're 16 years old oh, oh, at the time. Um, why did your family feel like it was right to to send you to, to Israel to go to school at that age? Well, uh, my family didn't decide to send me. My family uh, agreed for me to go. <laughs> that was okay. the other way, <laughs> the opposite. Uh, I found uh, when my family was in that situation and the uh, things were really going bad uh, economically for us there, we lost everything. And I found that was a program for uh, finishing high school in Israel in a boarding school. 
Uh, and uh, I went to my family, to my parents and say, I want to go, I want to do that. Uh, they will, it includes support, it includes, you know, uh, a tuition uh, paid. And at least I will, you know, finish my high school in a, in a place where I can uh, have support. Uh, and, and it was very independent at that age. So I felt like a I felt like uh, it's okay to be alone in a new country, in a boarding school in another language, and I will be okay anyway. A uh, little crazy when you think about it, uh, uh, you know, as a parent, but uh, I think that uh, they, they agreed because they understood that uh, what they could offer me back then was not uh, comparable, and, and they wanted for me what it was better for me. Um, it's not like in the movies. It's not uh, that you see a boarding school, you know, where... Um, you are like in a, in, a, in a place where everything is uh, catered for you. It was hard, but uh, it gave me the opportunity to be where I am today. So I think that uh, I'm grateful for, for that time at the uh, high school in, in Israel, in boarding school, and the opportunity to move on after uh, I finish it to in 85 uh, to go to study and try my, my new life as, uh, you know, independent person so it was it was the situation back then and and how you so you took an early interest in computers how did the, that lead you on to this career path that 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 ended up leading to you know to owning your own your own fintech business and then ultimately moving here like tell me a little bit about how that uh, developed for you well it was a long journey um, I started from computer science, but uh, very early, after two years, I understood that I really didn't like to code. Uh, I, I love computers because of their innovation and the ability to do things, but I didn't have the patience to sit and code for hours. So after two years, I moved to uh, marketing, to business, to sell computers. So from learning computer science, I became more of a marketing person and uh, still within the computer field, but uh, more on the business side of it. Uh, still was early, uh, still, you know, with the XT and the AT, <laughs> those type of computers, but uh, I work with the university right there and I work with people from the academy and uh, I never left the field. I, I like technology, but uh, again, I, I'm not a coder. Uh, after doing that, I met a woman that uh, was a businesswoman already with a lot of uh, experience and involvement in large corporations that was creating the first uh, college for entrepreneurship in Israel back then, bringing the master degree from a Australian university in entrepreneurship. It was something very novel. I'm talking about the uh, the, the beginning of the 90s. And the, I got excited about it. I met her at a conference and I immediately said, I want to join you. I want to work with you. I want to, to do that. Uh, and she made me a partner of that uh, venture, creating the college and the, bringing the new master degree. Uh, and not only that I joined her, I actually uh, joined also the master degree program with the Australian University. Uh, and after a few years working with her and uh, creating that uh, uh, college for, uni for entrepreneurship and also studying my own master's degree in entrepreneurship, I founded my first uh, startup company. And it was in the, at the end of the 90s, uh, middle of the you know, bubble and all the craziness going back then with investments. Uh, I launched my company in 99. And that was my first startup, and since then I have been in the in this uh, in the high tech world. And uh, a little later, I got already into fintech. It wasn't called that way, but uh, that's where it all started. And and what kind of what kind of company was that that you created? In '99, I created a company that was very uh, common for the time. Uh, it was called Divago. And the company did is replace the page, the error page. You remember the error pages of the 404? Yes. Uh, were very common back then. <laughs> uh, so we replaced it at the ISP level, at the service provider, at the internet service provider level. We replaced it with a page that gave you information about the error in terms of the site you were trying to reach. 
and they of course full of advertisement to take advantage of uh, you being lost uh, so <laughs> Uh, the model was advertising, and it was all about eyeballs, very common uh, word back then. And uh, we did a, an agreement with the NEC Computer International in Europe. That was a large uh, computer uh, uh, distributor, uh, one of the top back then. Exists today yet, of course, NEC. Uh, and we had a lot of computers installed with our system. And uh, the, the 2001 arrived with the burst of the bubble, you know, the stock markets fall. Uh, and the moment that they happened, our advertising provider uh, uh, went out of business. He, they were a public company in the stock market and overnight they disappeared. We tried to wait until things back to normal, but as we all remember what happened in 2001, in September 11, uh, the that moment we realized or was the feeling back then or the belief belief that uh, it's gone they, it will not get back uh, get back so fast as we we hope uh, and we closed the company at that moment and uh, of course uh, that's when i got into fintech uh, mm-hmm. after my company was closed i got into international payments first time i didn't know anything about it but uh, it was needed, and I started uh, learning on my own while working on it uh, for one of the largest uh, merchants back then. And uh, I learned everything about alternative payments around the world, bring new solutions on payments, and uh, connecting payments from Brazil to China, UK, uh, and, of course, the US. Uh, and that's where I discovered the the amazing world of uh, financial services, digitalization, and why this is a place where I can do a lot because uh, it was just starting back then. Right. And I know we use the term, you know, fintech now mm-hmm. to describe this. Yeah. Um, and obviously that term probably didn't exist back then. No, I um, but from your, from your uh, point of view, what, what, what is a, because um, I do want to talk to you about how, how you got more involved in, in that industry in Israel before you came here. But I think it might be it might be good to pause, and I'd love to know what you what you think is a fintech company. How would you describe a fintech company? Fintech has uh, evolved a lot in terms of what the term means since started. It started um, around more or less fourteen or fifteen years ago uh, in terms of uh, called that way. Uh, before that, uh, it was uh, either. Uh, Payment technologies, banking technologies, it didn't have a common name for all these type of technologies. But once they started fintech, it evolved also. And today, fintech is more considered any technology that digitalized any aspect of financial services. So it's not about payments anymore. It's not about banking anymore. It's any technology that can digitalize either a financial service that exists, enable a new service to be delivered, improve the systems of financial service providers, uh, etc. So all the technologies that are around from back end to front uh, and are related to the financial industry are fintech or financial technologies. Uh, They are not easy to, sometimes they are not easy to spot as fintechs, but uh, the moment you understand that the company has a fintech play, uh, there is a lot to benefit from it because the company then can improve their uh, distribution channels or apply the right models and uh, be more valuable. So fintech is not just a way to describe a company, it's actually a way to grow the company uh, faster and, and more profitable. And I know that um, when you when you first uh, arrived here, and people got to know you and, and would tell me your, your story uh, long before I met you. You know, people would talk about the experience that you had gained uh, in, in fintech and, and how much of a fintech powerhouse in Israel uh, it had become. Um, so, so I'm curious to, to uh, get your, your, uh, your sense of uh, how you grew as an entrepreneur in that industry and, and what fintech looked like as it emerged and grew in Israel. 
When I started the, to work with payments, as I mentioned, uh, in 2001 for one large uh, global retailer, uh, that was a very uh, specific type of segment within fintech that was not called fintech, of course. Payments were uh, uh, very important because, uh, as you know, back then, uh, everything that was online transactions was so broken. It's still a little, but uh, back then was almost manual. And uh, PayPal was growing back then and uh, acquired by uh, eBay. And the rest was mostly, you know, credit card transactions that people had a hard time trusting and a lot of fraud, a lot of uh, exceptions. And the international cards were very hard to work with or accept. A lot of merchants didn't accept, actually, the international credit cards. Debit cards, of course, didn't work uh, online. So... It was an industry that required the solutions, that required better way to, to, to work and to allow people to make transactions uh, online and remotely. Uh, but over time, when I started in 2001 and after five years in the industry, uh, it was clear that the problem is more uh, profound. It's not about the system you see on the front on how the page for putting your credit card looks. There is a lot on the back end that was not developed for uh, online payments or for online transactions. So I got more deep and deep into the technologies behind to see how those technologies can be improved at the core level of the industry. My first company was on banking systems. So we actually developed systems for the banks and the financial institutions to improve their back-end ability to trans to make real-time transactions uh, that they started on online environments. Uh, working on that level of the industry allowed me to see more of the innovations that were required uh, all in all in the financial industry. And I got involved with many other startups where I either advise or help the founders or, or review some of their technologies. So over these 20 years, I had a lot of opportunities to be exposed to more and more technologies from uh, all aspects of the industry. And it's an industry for me, it's fascinating. I know that many people will find it uh, maybe uh, boring or, or, uh, or not relevant to their lives, but for me, it's really a fascinating industry because it affects all, your, all, your, all aspects of your life all the time. You pay and you have insurance and you may have, you know, investments and everything that you do or, or, or loans or everything is around your life has a lot of financial services involved. And all those technologies are part of what make it better or what make it more efficient or more relevant to you, more customized to your needs, uh, even even uh, more, uh, you know, available or, or cheaper. So... Uh, it's technology that affects the lives of anyone in the world and people don't uh, uh, not always see it or not always uh, understand that those technologies are important to them. It's interesting that you would say that because I know it's, it's, it's always difficult to describe technical stories, uh, but also to describe stories that are more business to business. And I think of this from a journalism point of view because whenever we do interviews, we're always trying to connect to the stories to, you know, to the broader population and to the consumer and tech stories are always hard for that. And, um, and, and FinTech is, is also very difficult. Um, <laughs> so you, I mean, you do a great job of describing the, the connection it has to people's everyday lives in that sense. I think that the, it's, it's a, it's a technology that has the potential to improve people's lives and not always companies uh, do their you know developments or create their companies to do that but many of them have a, a, a mission to improve people's lives and uh, if it's unbanked for example uh, if it's a uh, uh, people that they cannot access a uh, uh, lending from traditional banks and they still need a credit so there are many of these companies that have a, a mission to improve things for others. And that's what the companies that I uh, look forward to, to meet more and to help more because these companies are not just improving some item on a line item on a large bank, but they are really affecting directly the life of millions. 
Where were you living in in Israel uh, when you started working in this sector? And most of it uh, is in the center of the country, uh, near Tel Aviv. Uh, there are a few cities around that they are less known to people, but are also part of the high-tech industry, like Herzliya uh, or Anana. But uh, that, that's not important because Tel Aviv represents all of them. Uh, so Tel Aviv is really the center of uh, the technology world there, with a little other uh, places that you have uh, uh, some other companies around, like in the north, uh, you may have Haifa, or in the south, uh, Beersheba. Tel Aviv is the, the symbol of the of the technology industry in Israel. Now, what's interesting that for our region is that Tel Aviv is the size, in terms of population, of Halifax. Uh, it's not, uh, you know, a 10 million people city. It's a... Uh, 450,000 or so uh, people in the city. So uh, when I see uh, Tel Aviv as the epicenter of technology where everybody in the world almost is talking about, I I think our region, uh, Atlantic Canada, uh, together has not, not, not less potential in terms of uh, becoming a power center in technology. And uh, it's not on only the, because of the population, it's also because of the companies I have met. I met here founders in the last two and a half years that I'm here that have fantastic technologies and are doing a great job so solving real issues. And I have already clients, uh, not only in Canada, but also globally. Uh, I really believe in this, uh, in this uh, industry here in Atlantic Canada and the fintech sector is strong. We have a lot of companies that they are in active in the fintech sector, even if they don't uh, realize it or don't describe themselves as fintechs, as many of them don't. Uh, together, they are a critical mass of fintech companies that can change completely how our region looks uh, for the, in the global uh, map. I want to definitely get a, a better sense of how you see the industry developing here and some of the companies that are that are important here and are growing. Um, but before before I ask you about that, I actually want to get a sense of. So you, we talk about Tel Aviv as being you know roughly the size of of Halifax and 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 it not being as big a region as a lot of people might think it is. But when people think about um, you know technology, we tend to think of you know the big nations. We tend to think of the United States. We tend to think of Silicon Valley, and we think of China, and it's emerging, you know, as, as a tech center. Um, what uh, what allowed Israel to grow into uh, a tech powerhouse and 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 develop sectors like fintech that have become, you know, really central globally, not just regionally? How did how did that happen? It was a, a and. A, it was a part of an existing technology industry uh, historically that uh, was focused on the, on security or military technologies uh, from very early uh, from the country from the 60s and 70s. You had the large, very large corporations that they were focused on security and the military technologies, but. Uh, by the end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s, Israel had a huge wave of immigration coming from Eastern Europe with the fall of the, you know, of uh, the USSR. And the, from Russia and Ukraine and all that region, Israel had almost hundreds of thousands of immigra immigrants coming at once uh, with a lot of um, academic and technology background, uh, that immigration really affected and changed completely the face of the technology industry in Israel. Uh, most of the, the large technology companies uh, that they started in the 90s were benefiting from that wave of uh, immigration because uh, the the large number of them coming with the, the diverse background in technology and having a, a knowledge of a development and the computer science, etc., electronics, uh, were a really important part of that change in Israel. Um, 
on when we got already into the 2000s, they were already a part of the, you know, of Israeli society and working technology being most of the developers. Still today, most high-tech companies in Israel have a large number of developers that are from that uh, wave of immigration or their, uh, or, or their kids. And uh, I think that uh, it's important to understand that immigration uh, also in Silicon Valley, if you look at the founders that are successful founders and most of the companies that have been growing there in the last 20 years, including uh, Google, uh, have a lot of immigrants involved. Uh, so immigration have been a, a good engine behind technology industries, not only in Israel that it was huge because of the Russian immigration, but also in Silicon Valley and in other places. Uh, I don't know if without immigration, it would look the way it looks today. And so what ended up sparking your interest in, in coming to Canada and coming to, to, to New Brunswick? How, how did that all evolve and take place? During all these years, I have been working in the technology industry, especially from 2000. I was working a lot in the in North America, more specifically in the U.S. I had offices there all over the years, and over 15 years I had my office there. And it was clear to me that at some point I will move to North America. But over time... Uh, as as I knew more and more about the the U.S., Canada, I was really curious about Canada because of the culture, the lifestyle. I really liked what I was knowing about and was very lucky to be invited to visit the region, uh, especially St. John, invited by the Jewish community and uh, led by Dan Elman from St. John. Uh, and... I, when I came to visit, and it was, um, I think we are talking about already eight years ago, um, I visited St. John, I met amazing people. I don't know if you happen to meet uh, them, like, uh, you know, Janet Scott, um, by chance, uh, I was lucky to meet her and, and see what is going on with the, uh, the development of the region economically and business and technology. was invited even to a demo day by Jerry Pond uh, to see companies that uh, sparkled my interest, seeing that how similar it is to, to what I was seeing in Israel. Uh, so when I came to that visit, I decided that that's the right move. That's what I want to do. That will be, for my family, the best uh, place to grow and the, and have a quality of life and the right education and that I, I really wanted for them. Uh, so we started our process back then, but from Israel, of course. Um, and over the time when we were doing our process, uh, my son came to university before even we, we came, uh, and he went to, to Toronto to study at university, and we decided to come to the region where we've already been, um, unlike the, you know, so much nature, a lifestyle we were looking for, so we decided to come here. Uh, and two years and a half ago, a little more maybe, we landed, and I can tell you that uh, although we were just in that short visit back then, and we met people that uh, we really like what we saw and the people we met. When we landed for the first time as immigrants, uh, we were very excited and and a little afraid as well we, because we didn't have a specific plan of what we will do here. We just wanted to be here and see what's got, what will happen. So we landed and the first thing I did was, okay, where are the meetups for entrepreneurs? You know, I want meetups. I want to meet others and I organized my own uh, just to meet other entrepreneurs and see how people are working here, what startups are doing, learn a little more. Uh, and the more I met, the more I got excited because I started to discover more and more fintech companies. I didn't expect that, but the more I met, the more I discovered them until I got to the conclusion that you may not know it, but you have an amazing fintech sector here. And it seems to happen because of a very specific advantage you have in the region. 
Uh, the region, as you know, has a lot of back-end operations like uh, call centers, support centers. Uh, these uh, are for banks and for insurance companies, billing, a lot uh, related to actually to financial services. Uh, it seems that a lot of people exposed to these uh, back-end uh, systems and operations for the financial industry have started developing solutions that are relevant to improving or solving problems they saw on those uh, operations. So the, we have really a, a very good number of fintech companies here in our region coming from all aspects of the industry. And and I, I well, the more I met back then when I arrived, the more I got to the conclusion that that's where I want to keep uh, in being involved with the financial industry or the fintech uh, uh, sector in our in our uh, in Atlantic Canada because uh, it was clear that that's something that uh, I can be helpful and contribute with. It's interesting that you you mentioned the contact center industry because I know that you know as it, it developed and evolved from the mid '90s in New Brunswick and in other other Atlantic Canadian provinces, it, it was very much the vision of people like you know the the premier at the time Frank McKenna. Um, who is obviously still very involved in in the province uh, through his work with the TD TD Bank, and and uh, it was very much their their idea that mm-hmm. that it would evolve, that we would develop this contact center industry, which would have been the call center industry back in in the mid '90s, but that there was the potential for it to to evolve into different stages of development, so that there was the opportunity to create. A financial services sector here that that has fintech as an aspect of it. So it's interesting to, for you to hear you describe that as a strength um, that um, that that evolution has taken place to a certain degree. And you've gotten that sense from speaking with people that there is that kind of strength that's here in the region that yes. we can build on. Yes, actually, uh, one of the reason I realized that is that is not because I discovered it, it's because talking to uh, senior people in financial institutions, in banks in, in, in Toronto, one of the things they mentioned to me is that uh, they notice uh, that our region has more uh, back office operations than other regions, and they see it as an advantage because uh, many places where people are developing financial technologies, they come from the front end of the midware. They are more, uh, they understand better uh, UX, UI, and they understand better consumer needs, but they have lack of understanding of the back end of the operations, of the part that is, is not a, a, is not innovated yet. It's not a, didn't have enough innovation involved. And they are expecting more from that end to happen and to come with solutions. And our region is doing that. The, the, most of the companies I meet are actually improving or working on backend systems that they, for the financial industry. Uh, so that advantage that we have is uh, really unique to our region when you compare it even on a global basis, because in other regions like Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley is fantastic for, for uh, consumer-facing solutions much more than any other thing in in, in, in fintech, of course. Uh, so in our region, the companies that are coming with B2B solutions that are focused on backend operations uh, and services and improving the, the core is exactly where we have a unique advantage uh, that we can compete better on a global, in a global sense. And I know through the work that you're doing um, with Van and, and in the region, you've been tracking these companies and 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 finding out where they are and who they're connected to. And you know, you, you've talked about there being you know a hundred or more companies in the region, in the Atlantic region, that are in in kind of in fintech in in some way. Can you uh, can you tell me about uh, a few of those companies that stand out for you? Um, and you know what they do, and and you know how big their operations are, just to give us a sense of of some of the players that are in this space. Sure, uh, I don't want, of course, to offend anyone that I will not mention because there are a lot of companies that are really uh, worth mentioning because they do uh, things that are uh, unique and and successful and surprising at the same time. Uh, but I will mention a few uh, just because uh, these are the ones that I have been involved uh, recently also in some of the programs that are running to help the companies. 
Uh, so I I can I know that I can uh, mention them. Uh, for example, one of the companies that have been in the news in the last month uh, from the region uh, is Oliver POS from uh, Newfoundland uh, that managed to raise a significant uh, round of over three million dollars uh, during the pandemics in the middle of the pandemics from European investors without meeting, just all uh, remotely. Uh, and the company is already is, in, is growing very fast. It's early stage, but it's growing very fast and it's already selling in more than 70 countries. Uh, they are uh, very well positioned for what's going on today in, with digital payments, etc. So this is so they're in the digital payment space, yes, are they? They are in digital uh, payments for uh, small small medium businesses with the uh, online and offline presence. Uh, another company is. Uh, for IFT Financial from uh, St. John. Uh, and the company is uh, is uh, involved in the, in the more in the compliance side of, of the industry of investments. Uh, but what's interesting about the company, not only that they are successful and growing, is that they, when this uh, the pandemic started and, and what's happening today more and more, uh, the need for a system that allows the different uh, players or the different stakeholders uh, in uh, investment management to have the the you know the multidimensional uh, uh, view and control of all the aspects of the compliance and the know your customer uh, of the investment itself became more important because you have uh, agents working remotely. Uh, you don't see the client in person. You need to serve them also remotely. So a system that was created before the pandemic became much more strongly positioned after the pandemic, although it was needed also before. So some of these companies have also, uh, I wouldn't say benefited, but they became stronger uh, with the situation where there is more remote work, there is more need for uh, virtual services where you cannot meet in person with the clients or partners. or So I think that this is part of the companies. Another company uh, worth mentioning is uh, a Snap AP, for example, that is also from uh, New Brunswick, and they, they have uh, developed systems for large enterprises uh, to control and manage vendor payments. Uh, so also B2B, and uh, they have a... Uh, partnerships now with global uh, leaders like uh, the one that they announced recently with Oracle. So another say and more announcement I have assume will come soon. So I think that these companies uh, from everywhere, from Newfoundland, from New Brunswick, from Nova Scotia, from PEI, I, I can name companies also from there like uh, Cashflow and the uh, Security. We have a lot of companies that are serving the financial industry from a lot of different sides. And the, the, all of them are working in the financial industry or targeting financial industry in different ways. But uh, it's not yet working as a sector. Other than the companies that I may know or, or may know each other a little, the sector itself don't work much as a sector yet. And it's part of, uh, of what we are uh, seeing, that uh, it needs to connect a little better. So everybody can enjoy from exchange of knowledge and, uh, of course, more significant and efficient growth. Right. And I know um, from how you've talked about, you know, the development of the industry in Israel and, and looking to New Brunswick uh, for ways that New Brunswick and, and Atlanta, Canada generally can learn uh, from what happened in Israel. You describe a, um, an entrepreneurial uh, tech culture in Israel that's very collaborative where people work a lot together and, and share learnings and share contacts and, you, in addition to immigration being important, that was also a central feature of is Israel's development. Yes, it's, it's, it's a very important part of it. It's the ability to be connected to the rest of the industry or your sector in a more direct way, where you know what others are doing and also know who can help you get connected to any organization or person you need. Looking at the companies here, I know that many of them have the ability to help others uh, around them without uh, competing with each other. 
so that the ability is lost when they know, don't really know that the others around them are in the relevant sector or targeting the same industry. With the lack of connectivity, they also cannot uh, take advantage of opportunities or share opportunities with others. Even uh, more, not only opportunities themselves, even the knowledge about models or or growth, uh, or, you know, for example, channel marketing, any other type of partnerships they could be having, all that is not shared between the companies just because they are not connected as a sector or industry and they don't have much knowledge of each other and what they are doing. I think that even that part of the sector, correcting it a little, it already brings a lot of uh, advantage. Uh, and the companies, once they take more advantage of it and grow more, you will also see that they grow in size, what will bring more jobs uh, to the to the region. The companies here tend to be smaller uh, and uh, earlier in their stage, not because they have the, uh, lack the ability to grow further or to be uh, more significant in a global uh, stage. It's more because... Uh, they need to they have a longer learn curve they need to discover everything by their own one by one they go out and and learn their models they learn how to you know find the right partners everything uh, by building everything from scratch every time while that knowledge is actually in the region somewhere else when someone did something and already discovered part of it so the more we can take a you know take care of that sharing and that the connectivity, the more the the sector can grow and become stronger. Although you have already a critical mass of companies, those companies could be altogether bigger and and more uh, uh, successful if that knowledge and connectivity could be in place. And I know from from speaking with you, I know you you had um, originally visited St. John, and then and then uh, when you when you came here, uh, you you chose to live in in uh, in Moncton. Um, but you very much see this as a as a regional uh, sector, right? In terms of its development, um, you don't see it as a Moncton thing or St. John or Halifax or St. John's Newfoundland. You seem to see it very much as a a connected ecosystem of uh, of companies that are all over the region. I think that we are a, a region and not a city or province in this in for the sector. Uh, the sector is cross border for Atlantic Canada. We all share the same common uh, interests and uh, and uh, share the common uh, uh, needs and uh, and uh, you know together we do have a sector with a critical mass of companies. If we cut it into pieces uh, and start, uh, you know, competing in terms of uh, which one of the provinces or which one of the cities uh, will be the the most important one in this sector, uh, we will not do a good service to the companies themselves because we are two hours drive from anywhere. I can be in Halifax or in St. John or in Fredericton at any moment and also I can fly to Newfoundland in the same time is a, a very uh, is, is a very close region uh, with a lot in common and we see it now with the pandemic and the bubble we have a lot to share we have a lot of uh, to to have an advantage when we open the borders and work together so keeping ourselves safe during the pandemic but on the other side growing the economy because we are open to each other have be, made us one of the best places in the world. If we do the same for the fintech sector, no one can stop us. Atlantic Canada can be one of the top fintech sectors in the world, exactly the same as we are the most safe places in the world right now. How important, uh, thinking of what you were saying about how Israel, the Israel sector developed in terms of that immigration from, from Russia, you know, in the early 90s, I'm wondering um, how important immigration is in Atlanta, Canada, in the sector, both from the, the human capital, so people coming here and working for companies or starting companies, and then the capital investment that can come from the outside. How important is that as as a part of the growth of the sector here? We have already part of the companies in the fintech sector that have been uh, founded by immigrants. 
that that's already part of it. It's not something that could happen in the future, uh, including one of the companies I mentioned, the the CEO and founder of Oliver POS, Matthias, is a, is also one of our newcomers. Uh, so I think that they they are already involved and they are doing it. But one of the things we are we still lack is companies uh, recruiting more uh, newcomers uh, for jobs in their companies in the in the technology sector. Uh, mainly because it's hard to translate sometimes uh, their CV into the actual, you know, what was the experience or how can I evaluate uh, what that person knows. I think it's worth for everybody to make that effort uh, and start involving more and more newcomers into the company's uh, work because the, the, the immigrants not only have may have some technical background or knowledge, but they have also knowledge about foreign markets. They can help getting companies and solutions into new markets. They know the culture. They know the how how to make business there. They know exactly the needs. They it's it's an opportunity for everybody to sell globally, not only cross border to the U.S. but everywhere in the world. So if you are selling in other places in the world, not only that you can recruit a, you know newcomers for software development and or support, you can also uh, have them for marketing and sales and for product, uh, you know, taking your products and services to markets that you couldn't do it uh, with your uh, your existing workforce. So it's, it's an opportunity for everybody. And I think that we need to take that more in consideration. But on the other side, they are also founders. They are also entrepreneurs. So we do see already companies being founded by immigrants and the newcomers. Uh, and that is a part of what they will also uh, contribute to the growth of the sector. Uh, as they did in other uh, places around the world. It's, it's a good opportunity for everybody, more now that uh, there is a plan to bring more immigration uh, that the, the region will benefit from, I, I am sure. Now, you took, took some time to get to know the fintech sector uh, that you've discovered over the last several years since you've been here. Um, do you, when you talk to people back in Israel, do you see other um people making that decision to come here as well, both as, you know, people who might want to work in the sector here or as people who might want to invest and start their own companies here? Are you, are you basically what I'm asking you is, you're, are you talking to your friends in Israel about coming here? <laughs> <laughs> so first, not only coming here, I have already a few of them here working here in the, including in fintech from, uh, from the region. Uh, although their companies are, are in Israel, I also are talking to investors in Israel to invest here, and they are very interested in the region, and they are already talking to some companies here. So, as you know, there is a little more developed uh, sect, uh, angel investment uh, culture in Israel than here. Uh, that I hope we can also, uh, uh, you know, foster uh, in our region to have more angel investment from people in the region to invest in the companies. But in the meantime, to help that happen, I started talking also to my contacts in Israel, and part of them have already been talking to companies here about the investment opportunities, and they are engaged with the companies to see if they can invest and the lead rounds and the, in some cases even acquire. So... I think that this is a good opportunity to bring more and more uh, resources from other places and help the region uh, strengthen the, the fintech sector. Uh, and of course, everybody that can do their part uh, is more than welcome because this is a big uh, sector that needs a lot of support. Uh, and in, personally, I know that the companies uh, are very successful and are great and will grow very fast. And Verafin acquisition is a demonstration that you can grow a global leader from here, from our region. And I am certain that there are many companies that are now preparing themselves to follow their lead and they grow their own a huge corporations here from the region because one of the things Ferafin also proven is that even once you grow the company and become very successful and, and 
are even acquired, you still can keep the company here locally and continue growing it here after the acquisition. So it's one of the things that they, I think entrepreneurs here needed to hear and know is that it doesn't end the, with the exit. Uh, you can continue growing the company and the industry can continue growing all, uh, all together and it doesn't disappear the moment uh, you know someone is interested in the company or acquires it. It's, a, it's a here to stay. And, and that's the most important part for me, to see these companies not only grow and someone having an exit and making money, but more to see the companies grow and, and creating an industry that will create jobs and stay for the long term. Yeah, and it's interesting that you should raise Verifin because uh, obviously that was a, a big reason why I wanted to, to talk to you uh, this week, just because people were so excited about that deal that was closed last week, not closed, but, but, uh, but the beginnings of the process of the sale. And, um, and it was, so it's a very exciting thing for, for people who, and it seems like the tech sector, it has that culture of, of building companies and then selling companies, um, and then seeing them continue to grow in the place where they started, even through that acquisition. Uh, and you know, and it's very different here in Atlantic Canada would be true around the world where we have these, um, we're, we're more used to companies in this region that, you know, have been built for generations and owned by families over several generations just to have, so to have these tech companies that start grow and then are sold and then hopefully continue to have operations here is, is, uh, you know, is, is, is exciting for people. I hope that they, to see also, and, and I believe it will happen as well. It's not just the hope, of course, it's part of a growth of an industry and the maturity, but the, over time, you will see also companies here acquiring companies around the world, exactly as you see in other uh, industries in the region, uh, like in the fishing industry, that you have, uh, you know, a global leader acquiring companies around the world. So it will happen also in the technology industry here, where uh, companies will grow uh, to significant size and start acquiring companies around the world instead of being acquired. Uh, but that requires a certain maturity for the, the region that they, now after this deal with the Verafin is also a more attainable. You, you see that how that could evolve and happen. Uh, so over the next years, uh, I think that the next huge news need to be about the company that not only was successful, maybe IPO, I don't know, but also start acquiring companies around the world to become the global leader. It's interesting because I think you're you're referring to cook uh, aquaculture yeah. <laughs> that yeah when they've been they've been growing and growing for the last several years acquiring companies all over the world. Um, mm-hmm. And so I guess yes the next stage in our evolution is that we become uh, the place where we acquire tech companies. Yes that, that's a <laughs> nothing stop us from from being there as well right. Well, thank you very much for chatting with me, Alicia. Did you have anything else you wanted to raise uh, for our chat? Uh, the only thing I would like to raise is that uh, if there are entrepreneurs out there that they think they may be fintech companies and they would like to understand better what that means and why it's important for them to, to you know, to define themselves that way, uh, to invite them to contact uh, me and to ask any questions. I am very open to communicate with anyone that wants to, to talk about it and ask questions. Uh, so I invite them to, to reach out and ask uh, anything they need. I, I really think that the more they understand and know uh, what it means and if they are really a fintech company and why that will, will benefit them, the more our region will benefit as well. Thank you very much. Well, I, I would do want to close actually too by asking you. So, so how are you doing? I've been asking a lot of questions about <laughs> fintech and the development of the sector here and and Israel. But tell me, uh, how are you liking living in in Moncton and uh, and in the region generally? I love the region. I love uh, Atlantic Canada. I feel at home. I I feel that I have been much more than two and a half years. I tell you the truth. Uh, we came alone, my husband and kids. Uh, my son is now in Halifax uh, after finishing uh, university, so we are all together here. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, you know, a little alone when your family is abroad, but uh, we are lucky that we are together. 
and making friends, uh, knowing more the region, traveling when it's possible around. And it's so much to know and visit. We didn't see much yet. Uh, in two, years, two and a half years, you, you don't even uh, meet much of the region. And because we cannot uh, fly anymore, I was flying a lot before for business. And now I cannot fly anywhere. I, have, I am lucky that I can see a little more of my region and uh, learning more about it. And they're learning more about the culture and the history, and and I I'm really hope that this situation ends soon. And even if we can keep traveling again, I I want to stay to to travel more locally because I think that we have too many treasures here to just go somewhere else to for vacation. I really want to stay here for the coming years. What is it that you like doing uh, in in your region? How are you enjoying uh, the Moncton area, for example? I, I love walking. Uh, I love to walk uh, in the in the forests, for example. I didn't find yet my winter activity, <laughs> but I need to see if for this winter if I will find it. Finally, my daughter does uh, speed skating, so she find, found her. But uh, for me, it has been more uh, when it's not uh, winter, too much is walking. Uh, now I need to feel my my winter side to see what I will do when it's winter. But that I, I I live for the coming months to see to discover it. Yeah, you might be well if you love to walk. You just put on snowshoes once the snow comes. <laughs> didn't try that. You see, two and a half years and didn't try that. So that will be my first uh, uh, my first intent this year. I will tell you how it went after. All right. Well, thanks very much, Alicia. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much, Mark, for the opportunity. We'll be in touch. You've been listening to the latest episode of Huddle Home Office. And that was my conversation with Alicia Ismak, entrepreneur in residence at Venn Innovation in Moncton. And thanks, Alicia, for that uh, great chat. And we hope to have you back again on the show to talk about baby unicorns and unicorns as they emerge in the fintech space. And we'll also want to know if you did indeed take up snowshoeing. The Huddle Home Office is produced by me, Mark Legere, Sharice Letson, and Tyler McLean. And thank you, Trevor Nichols, for the great chat about Verifin and uh, their $2.75 billion deal with NASDAQ. Now, please do subscribe to Huddle Home Office on your favorite podcast platform, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play. And we will talk to you next week.